0: Commodity Conversations brought to you by the team at Mercado.com.au, the premier source of analytics on the agricultural industry. If you're looking for the best information on agriculture and how to make better decisions when it comes to marketing your cattle, sheep, your wool or your grains, uh, visit our website. This is Andrew Whitelaw and today I'll be having a chat with Fiona Simpson. Fiona is a farmer from the Liverpool Plains but she is also the President of the National Farmers Federation. Uh, Today the topic of conversation will be on the $100 billion roadmap for Australian agriculture. Uh, This is a plan where the aim is to get the Australian agricultural industry up to $100 billion by 2030. So we'll go into a bit of detail with that with Fiona. Uh, It's a good interesting conversation. Uh, Before we jump into the conversation, I just want to thank one of our partners, Western Union Business Solutions. One of the big risks in um, agriculture is the fact that we are reliant on an export market. Conversely, we also import a lot of goods. So we all have an FX risk out there. So if you are doing any importing or exporting, whether it's fertilizers that you're importing or whether or machinery or whether you are you know, selling goods in containers overseas or selling bulk, you're going to have an FX risk. We recommend that you get in touch with Western Union Business Solutions because they can actually help you out developing a strategy uh, to give you, you know, the best way to optimize your FX risk and reduce your FX risk. So at the moment, most people in the industry probably just go straight to the bank. The reality is that you may not be getting the best prices, you may not be getting the best service by dealing with the bank. and these guys at Western Union they've only really been in the agricultural space with a dedicated team for about a year, but they've really gone feet first into it and invested in ensuring that their staff are all uh, you know full of knowledge on the industry their staff are all you know a number of them at least uh, come from an AG background. So yeah if you are looking to uh, reduce your risk and get proper strategies in place, I recommend getting in touch with Western Union Business Solutions and we've experienced the the service from Western Union because we've used them with a number of our clients and the feedback is all been extremely positive so yep get in touch with them and reduce your risk which is what it's all about. So without further ado let's go into conversation with Fiona. So hello, Fiona. Uh, It's been a pretty uh, tough time over the past uh, 18 months or so, or even longer throughout most of uh, Australia's uh, agricultural regions, but uh, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about something a bit more positive, Uh, the positive plan for the industry for the next, uh, well, for the next decade and a little bit over a decade with the $100 billion plan for Australian agriculture. So, Fiona, thanks for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to come along.
1: Um, such a devastating drought over much of Australia at the moment. Um, to be able to have a positive narrative out there about what we see and what I have to say many farmers see is the future for our industry is incredibly important. And um, and that's, been, that's why it's been good to have uh, be part of the conversation, I guess, and to be driving the, the conversation in some ways.
0: So let's let's just jump straight into it, Fiona. Uh, could you give us a brief summary of the hundred billion dollar plan, and and why it's important to the industry, and I guess and I guess really your farmers in general?
1: Yeah, sure. So the the hundred billion dollar plan was started because we wanted to to see what the future held for Australian agriculture and what farmers thought the fi- the, the future held, and what we, we're talking, you know, these days everyone's talking about global mega trends um, you know people talk about the importance of industry to Australia in terms of agricultural industry but what did farmers actually feel and what where did farmers think that we could take our industry in 2030 and could we actually develop a roadmap to get us there and so NFS traveled around uh, 18 regional locations right across Australia um, we talked to uh, a diverse group of people both farmers and um, a whole range of others, stakeholders and others, um, about, um, some of these mega trends and, um, what they thought would be driving us in terms of challenges and what they thought, uh, would be driving us in terms of opportunities. What were the roles for industry? What were the roles for stakeholders? What were the roles for government? And then we put it all together in a, in a roadmap, um, which industry has supported and which has a number of metrics around it that we will check in on, on an annual basis. To see how we're travelling in terms of the different um, pillars and the different parts of the roadmap. So it's intended to be not just a, a lovely glossy document um, full of nice language, but in actual fact some really deliverable and and um, key I think deliverables that will be you know really assure the future and give people confidence about the future the future of our industry and where we should be in 2030.
0: And. So I've read through the the hundred billion dollar plan, uh, the roadmap, and I think it's I think you summed up quite well there, and I like the fact that it is uh, it's an actual road plan and not an actual just you know an aspirational feel good document. I think that's extremely important, and a, a lot of farmers would probably agree with you that they don't want to see some glossy document, they want to see some action, and you know it's fantastic that that is happening. So mm-hmm. in, in the document. Uh, you there's outlined five pillars and the five pillars which will be used to effectively get to that 100 billion dollar plan can we spend a couple of minutes talking about them
1: yeah sure um and i think you know when we went into the discussions with the uh with the different people that we put on the table things that we thought might be driving industry in the future. And some of those, you know, know, are well known to people as discussion topics at the moment. We talk a lot about capital, for example, um, and unlocking capital in Australian agriculture. And that emerged as one of the the key pillars. People and communities, we all know how important, you know, keeping the the succession um, in our industry how important it is to bring young people into our industry, how important it is to bring you know, the best and brightest into our industry and to keep the best and brightest in our industry and also the communities that support our industry in regional Australia. Um, that's also emerged as, as one of the pillars. Um, innovation has always been a mainstay of Australian agriculture and it's no secret and no surprise to us that... Uh, Unlocking innovation and particularly digital innovation, and and I'm happy to come back and talk about any of these, but particularly this one in a moment, is is going to be a major part of what the future of Australian agriculture looks like in 2030. Um, Growing sustainably, um, obviously the sustainability of our environment, the sustainability of our our businesses, our our farming businesses, and the sustainability of our family farms. Um, All of that's incredibly important. Um, in, in our interaction with the community and with the environment uh, in the future. And lastly, but one of the, the more important ones at the moment too, is around customers and the value chain. You know, how do you make sure that we continue in, a, in the world and, and Australia is one of the most urbanised countries actually in the world. How can we make sure that in that environment when we're going to see in 2030, we understand that there'll be Sydney will In effect, have Adelaide on top of it. It will be so big that we'll have the population of Adelaide on it as well. How can we keep the connections between uh, the people who eat the food and use the fibre and the people who grow it? How can we keep it in an environment when, um, you know, many generations of people have no connection with um, farmers and no connection with the bush and no connection with where their food and fibre comes from? And, you know, that um, and the support of of consumers and the community is really important to us if we are to be one of the, the pillar industries of Australia in the future. So they're, they're the five, um, yep. and in, you know, in, in amongst those, there's all sorts of sort of um, interlocking smaller ones as well, but they're the key five pillars.
0: Yeah, that's like looking through them, if you don't, we'll quickly go through a few of them in a little bit more mm. detail. So you know, I can see that agriculture being ranked Australia's most trusted industry, You know, I think we're, you might know more, but I believe we're pretty close to the top or farmers are pretty close to the top of that list.
1: Um, Well, we sort of are, but I tend to think it's, and and these days we see a lot more pressure on on farmers to deliver um, to increasing consumer expectations. So uh, even though I think uh, consumers and customers, you know, uh, we do trust farmers, they don't always trust what we do. and. Mm. Um, I think, you know, most, you know, there's still quite a an image out there of, of the old farmer in the Kubra, you know, uh, and, you know, maybe driving a tractor, um, you know, with dust, dust coming up all around him and everything. A bit, a bit of straw in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, a bit of straw in his mouth. And the old romantic image of farming is what um, a lot of people tend to think of is agriculture and they get nervous. When we start talking about what modern agriculture is, but in actual fact, you know, the the images we aren't we aren't very good at at, at talking about what the realities are of agriculture today. And you know, when we sit in an amazing piece of equipment that looks like it has a you know a a cab out of a a spacecraft (laughs) with yield monitors going off all around us and paddock histories and sensors picking up things and uh, and driven by the satellite, you know, all of that. That's just as incredibly sexy if we tell that story. But um, we have to make sure that we keep connecting to to customers, that they understand that, you know, their values do match ours, that we are able to have the highest levels of animal welfare, the highest levels of, you know, sustainability, and that we keep connecting in that way.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, that's interesting because I did see the other day, you know, somebody had made a point that uh, a lot of advertisements for, you know, supermarkets or food products, they kind of hark back to this golden age of the 1940s or 1950s in their imagery, mm. which then means that when the consumer sees these modern farming practices, they're not normalized to to those practices. So they feel a bit, well, uncomfortable with seeing all this, well, like you say, space age technology, which is interesting, I guess, because you know everything around us in these urbanized communities are moving towards space age technology, driverless cars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah. I guess normalizing it, you know, normalizing modern farming technology, I guess is the difficulty, especially if you know we don't have those connections. Uh, and I know that you guys have got some projects on the go, or there was some funding last year for increased uh, increased sort of uh, farming education in schools. So.
1: That's right. And so we, we're very, and part of, um, you know, 2030 also is linking some of those initiatives that are out there as well as an initiative that we're just starting right now called Telling Our Story. Um, and we're, um, right now seeking, you know, agribusiness partners to, to better communicate as a, a whole industry with the with the um, community and set up a narrative where we do start to talk about not only who we are but what we do and consumers again see that our values match theirs and that the what the modern farm looks like in a in a in a way that they can relate to and that that's non-threatening um, but farmers I think are not very good at doing that generally um, and industry certainly hasn't been good before because we've probably never had to. You know, Australia's just always had agriculture. We've always just been there. Um, And it's only just now that, you know, we really need to really start focusing on some of these these issues Um, if we are going to, you know, maintain that community support and that community trust. Um, And even though they have trusted us, There's no reason to think that they have to do it in the future. And if you look at some of the issues at the moment, whether it's, you know, glyphosate or animal welfare or live export, a lot of the, you know, um, intensive livestock, um, we are at the moment having to respond to consumers in a way we never have had to before. And we have to be up to that task.
0: Well, here's here's one for you, Fiona. Mm. Uh, My daughter uh, looked at their curriculum. Yep. and they're learning about the carbon and nitrogen cycle for making compost. Yeah. They've been learning about uh, the life cycle of farm animals for pigs, sheep, and chickens. Mm-hmm. And I was quite impressed because she's only just turning free next month. So,
1: <laughs> wow, I, I
0: sort of thought I could actually probably learn something here. So, <laughs> so they are interesting enough that I had my, my it's not really that like, relevant, but uh, my daughter goes to a metropolitan nursery or kindergarten, yeah. I think you call it here. Yeah. And almost the entire year's curriculum is centred around uh, agricultural topics.
1: That's fantastic. And kids, kids love it. Yeah, and I think, you know, the we've been advocating for a long time that the, the education, you know, of children particularly in school where they learn about... Um, from the very earliest stages, they learn about food and, and animals and farms and and as they progress through the, the the curriculum, they can you know take on different different challenges and different topics. But we've been advocating for that in a long you know for a long time. And there's it's we've supported at NSF a number of programs. One of them at the moment that's out there now called Primary Industries Education Foundation PIFA, oh, Um which yeah, which actually does prepare resources. Um, for teachers so they can go online and pick up a lesson plan that fits straight into the curriculum on any number of topics and having those resources, you know, lesson ready for teachers who may or may not have a much of a background in, um, you know, the, in the bush or in, in, in agriculture, um, has been really helpful, I think, in terms of getting people's, um, you know, knowledge um, and, and, and getting those, those sorts of topics discussed at school because, you know, we have a population that does need to, you know, th- where we have concerns about obesity and health and all those things. And we know that healthy food is, is a big part of that. And so I think, you know, it, it's not only help industry by knowing, by, by kids knowing where their food and fiber comes from, but it's also um, helping them make some good life choices um, to, for later on.
0: Yeah, so let's. let's, Yeah, I think that's that's good, and I think I I personally think there's. You know, I don't know whether it's more anecdotal. I think as youngsters, like they're below six, they're educated Mm. in agriculture, or they have an interest in agriculture because almost. I spent a lot of time going into toy shops, and uh, they all tend to be, you know, full of farming type of uh, toys. It's just Mm. connecting that sort of. You know that next stage, the the primary and secondary schools. So I think it's
1: it's good. Yeah. and I think the, yeah, and the other. The, oh, sorry, I was just going to say the other thing that I think is important is too is having a, the the fact that our industry now is is not just about farmers. You know, there's so many careers that are associated with agriculture and with farming, and so getting them excited about it and showing them, you know, whether it's technology, whether it's finance, whether it's data, whether it's whatever it is, um, you know, science. There's a whole heap of different careers now associated with our industry, and we need we need all sorts of different people involved with it. And there's lots of opportunities for everyone, so that's a really good thing as well.
0: Absolutely, and I think with Pi for creating those resources for students uh, or teachers, really, you know, yes. you can teach a lot of different subjects at school through agricultural case studies or agricultural examples. I think it's pretty good. So, mm. so looking at. Uh, I wanted to pick a brain on this growing sustainably as well. Yeah. So we had, yeah. um, Oscar Pierce on the podcast, uh, yes. last month. He's uh, yes. he's an interesting bloke. He's got a lot of good, uh, ideas. He's very excited about this, uh, this sort of area, especially the, uh, I guess, uh, environmental stewardship or ecosystem services. And, uh, we, we spoke probably for 45 minutes, nearly an hour on, on that subject, um, but I guess just a quick question, you know, how hard is it going to be to get, I get, ecosystem services, I guess, would largely be f- paid for by taxpayers' funds. How mm. hard do you think it's going to get be to get a government to actually agree to that type of uh, work?
1: Well, I think uh, a couple of points there. I think one is, is that, if at the end of the day, you know, the consumers are demanding that we manage um, and recognise natural assets in a certain way um, and we actually do perform, you know, those services in, in our land management, then there is an argument around that we're pre- performing a public good. And so if you have a look at the, even at the, um, the the vegetation laws that were introduced around the Kyoto and allowing us now to, you know, a, a, um, to have a certain number of credits because of the, the vegetation that's that's um, on on Australian farms, yet have not received any any benefit for that, then I think you know there is an argument around that, but it, it's a very interesting topic to explore, and people are really interested in it, and it. I guess it's recognising the value of natural assets and the value that the community places in them. And if we can really make that case to the policy makers and the lawmakers, then I think there's definitely a chance that we could turn around the whole conversation um, in relation to to sustainability on farms and the value of, of natural assets and capital, natural capital and the management of that natural capital, which at the moment farmers are doing for nothing by and large. So, uh, you know, as managers of over 60% of Australia's landmass, um, you know, I'm yet to meet a farmer that is not interested in sustainability or, um, you know, making sure that they they have a very healthy farm in terms of environmental outcomes. Yet, at the moment, we've received that benefit in the food and fibre that we grow and that's about it. Yeah. There's an interesting, though, at the moment, a pilot that the government um, uh, did commit to in the, in the previous budget that is uh, particularly around this, This topic. It's a a biodiversity um, pilot, and it's a $30 million sum that they're. They're looking at NFS is helping government look at that um, and to just see how that would work in practice it sounds you know oscar's ideas are fantastic i think they're really interesting they're really different and it's a different approach you know in the old uh, you know through epbc and other acts like that state native vegetation legislation it's a real stick um whereas this is a carrot instead and um, people often respond much better to carrots and you get much better outcomes um with carrots um so Uh, If it's about having healthy farms, healthy food and fibre production systems, marrying production with environmental sustainability and doing so in a way that you're really um, achieving an outcome that the community thinks is really important, then I think there's definitely an argument for um, recognising that in terms of, of, um, of, um, well, not compensation, in terms of funding, a a positive payment for that.
0: Yeah, so one one of my views on on that, I guess, is that, I've heard a lot of farmers saying we shouldn't be involved in this environmental stuff it's a lot of nonsense etc etc but at the end of the day there are people who are interested in it and they're not a lot of them are not in the agricultural communities so I think it's important that the NFF or agriculture Mm -hmm. industry in general is involved in those kind of conversations because it's a lot better to be you know you know inside the tent uh, rather than I guess outside the tent you know. Uh, exactly. involved exactly. in that conversation. So you, even <laughs> we if totally you're not, even if you're not in total agreement with it, you know you don't have to be in agreement with it. But if it's going to help your bottom line, that's all that matters. We sometimes you've got to, I guess, suck it up and uh, and listen.
1: Well, I think um, for us, it's definitely about <laughs> what we don't like is that the way that some of these environmental schemes are run at the moment are around locking up land. And not producing, you know, locking them, out, you know, locking farming out of the land, and, um, you know, putting t- you know, um, covenants over over land for for, for um, mm, yes. you know 100 plus years. And for us, that's not what that that's not a positive outcome for all sorts of reasons. You lose, you know, families to the districts. You lose, you know, you're then exposed to feral feral animals and weeds and all sorts of different things. Um, it's not managed. We think that we think that that individual farmers should be able to create diverse landscapes um, with diverse outcomes on on their own farms, and then it's a much better outcome for Australia and for agricultural industry and for our communities if we're actually able to um, marry this, you know, sustainability element and the environmental outcome and the environmental services with productivity and profitability and we should be able to do that on individual farms and at the moment a lot of that you know it does take this whole shift in thinking um, for government as well to to move that way but I agree absolutely critical that we're part of that conversation because uh, it is you know consumers and the community now has a really high expectation about environmental outcomes and we have to be you know really uh, always on our game to make sure that we can show people what we're doing on our farms and how how sustainable our our farming systems and farming practices are. We always have to be looking to do better at that and you know if we are being asked to to, um, make some of those uh, outcomes paramount at, at the expense of, of productivity or profitability then we have to be part of that conversation
0: so so Robert my colleague he always likes to point out that in every podcast we've done I've always had one thing where I've said back in Scotland this is what we do
1: <laughs> Yes. Yeah.
0: so I think I'll add this one in just now because uh, I don't want to disappoint Robert um, <laughs> obviously in, in the UK we've got a lot of in Scotland we have a lot of uh, environmental stewardship programs and mm. um, which are probably at the, you know, for the likes of Oscar, I guess he would consider them to be the the end game. But it'll be quite an interesting, uh, it'll be quite an interesting sort of uh, case study. The likes of the UK, because they're going to come out of that uh, Europe European Union you know, potentially within the next uh, twenty four weeks, mm. which will give it a bit of a viewpoint on. You know, at the moment, it's all paid for by cap payments etc but when they move out of that sort of structured system how it uh how it will work and that could be a, you know potentially a sort of a middle ground for the likes of Australia so it'll be an interesting one to to watch and we've actually got somebody coming on the podcast in the next couple of weeks uh an MP from the UK who is involved in the environmental work and uh and Brexit to ask him some similar sort of questions on that so it may be an interesting sort of case study to look at uh, the UK over the next twelve to uh, twelve months to twenty four months uh, to see whether it's a disaster or uh, or not, and I don't think anyone knows at the mm. moment.
1: The, the other one, no. Felt, uh, no. Mm.
0: The other one I found quite interesting was uh, it, it stuck out to me, and it stuck out to my colleague Olivia uh, was halving food waste by twenty thirty. Yes. That's an interesting yes. one.
1: Yes, it is an interesting one, and the whole food waste <clears throat> conversation is interesting, not not the least because. Uh, NFF has been involved in um, government food waste strategic panels and think tanks and all sorts of things. And we've been really pleased to be because uh, often when you think about, and there's been some really you know uh, popular TV programs about you know uh, more on waste and all those different things, um, where people are looking at plastic packaging and um, supermarket sort of waste, they don't often think that there's so much food waste that's actually created at the point of production. Mm. you know, right on farms. And, you know, we have been talking a lot about the different ways that that occurs and recognising the ways that that occurs and it and occurs in, in a few different ways. One of them is, is, is because of um, the expectations that consumers have, for example, that their food has to be perfect. So if you're talking about bananas, they can't have too much bend. If you're talking <laughs> about carrots, they can't be too knobbly uh, or have too many bits to them, you know. And so there's, there's, there's quite a lot of food that is just left in the paddocks because it doesn't conform to those sorts of, of, of rules that the supermarkets might have in place um, secondly is that there is problems sometimes in Australia and we've given government a lot of case studies about um, people who just do not have the resources to pick their crops um, and it sounds, you know, people often say, oh, you're exaggerating, but but it's, we're certainly not. You know, a lot of food and fibre is grown, and we're talking about fruit and veggies here, and sometimes crops that can spoil incredibly quickly if we have rain on them or weather events or something like that. Um, and sometimes, you know, the case studies we've been given to government are in the millions of dollars of people who have had a cucumber crop, for example, that they just haven't been able to pick and it's, the weather's come in. Like uh, a who have had a ber- Yeah, uh, yeah, that, yeah, exactly, who have had a berry crop and it's rained. Um, those sorts of things where food is just spoiled and wasted in the paddocks because they haven't had enough labour to actually pick that, that, that crop. So um, I think it's those two things particularly. It's around, you know, what can we do in terms of, of utilising the non perfect looking food? Sure. That's part of it. And secondly, it is about making sure that we have the resources in the region to, to pick the crops when they're available.
0: So it probably involves not annoying uh, our neighbours that we use for uh, uh, temporary p- visa uh, fruit picking uh, visas.
1: Yeah, well, it's that's one of the political discussions that we have around. You know, how can we how can we get that labour force when we need it for short term periods? Often in the middle of nowhere. You know, up in in the Northern Territory where I was quite recently, it's it's really difficult to bring in you know a hundred people at very short notice um, and have them stay for a couple of weeks. But that's, Often, what's
0: needed. Mm. That's an interesting challenge and I think that's, you know, labor in regional areas is just going to become harder and harder, not just be mm. like there are I've always had this sort of um question around rural labor in terms of, you know, there's, there's plenty of jobs for people in agriculture. Yeah. But it becomes an issue when you have a partner for instance that yeah. uh, doesn't work in agriculture. Even, even things like uh, my wife and I, uh, I work in agriculture, so I could probably work most places around Australia. But my yeah. wife is a a, is a doctor and struggles yeah. to find places in regional areas. So it's it's marrying up the two of them. And I think that's a, a big struggle for for a place like Australia that has just such a tyranny of distance. You know, you go anywhere and it's, you know, huge distances from from the nearest major town.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think in some ways, you know, um, technology and um, robotics and all those things are going to make a difference in, in some ways. I mean, even even now looking at the way we grow berries, for example, um, you know, a lot of our berries these days come from, uh, well, there's a couple of different areas, but Tasmania springs to mind. And even the way that we grow berries down there now are a little more protected than they used to be. They used to just be out in the elements down on the ground and now they're up on trays and they're under tunnels. And so you just have, you know, a little bit more leeway. But if you can turn that into the next step, which is around robotics and controlling more of the elements, then I think, you know, that again gives you better chances of, um, you know, harvesting your crop and, and bringing in that income. But also, I guess, you know, not not having all of that go to food waste. It's, it's ter- you know, it's a really the food waste thing is a really interesting phenomenon because when you think about how many hungry people there are in our community uh, and, and in our regions, the figure that always surprises me is how many, you know, um, how many meals people like food banks deliver to regional areas. Mm. Yet we have so much food waste, uh, you know, literally tons and tons of food waste. And some of that's created
0: on farm. So, mm. it's largely a global issue as well because I think I read somewhere a stat from the UN that it might be thirty percent of all foods produced on farm is wasted at some point along the supply chain. Yeah. Which which morally, you know, is is a pretty pretty bad thing. Yeah. But, but on the, the flip side of it, the sort of the the hard nosed economist in me says, Well if we reduced all that food waste then there would be too much supply on the market and our prices would be impacted. So, But morally, I think, yes, we want to reduce that, that food waste. You had another one. Well, We'll have one final one on these pillars. One that I found yeah. really interesting and is, you know close to my heart and uh, mo- many would think it was a relatively boring subject <laughs> is uh, one that I'm definitely hoping you can do is that 90% of Australian farmers employing multiple financial tools to manage risk. So yeah. I so I actually am doing a PhD at the moment through University of Melbourne mm. looking into why farmers don't use financial price risk management tools. So mm. and at the moment it's probably about five to ten percent of farmers use financial price risk management tools. So I feel this is probably gonna be your biggest challenge.
1: Yeah, and do you think, though, because I think at the moment there's a couple of things for me, but you're doing a PhD, so you'll know much better than me, um, but it, it, what we envisage in, in this particular um, pillar um, or outcome is that, first of all, is there enough financial tools? Um, so that's the first question. If we look at, you know, grains, for example, crop growing, then there's a number of different sort of um, tools that are, I think much more readily understood and available. But if you have a look at horticulture or dairy or or other industries, then some of those tools are not as developed or not as available. Um, And it's, you know, I think part of it is having a look at the spread of tools that we have, and is that part of the reason why we don't have? Um, as many farmers accessing. The second thing is, you know, how do you actually utilise and just the knowledge about using some of these tools? So is it that the, that we don't have the tools available across the whole sector or is it also that in actual fact we don't have the knowledge about how to use some of these tools? And, you know, if you're talking about buying hedges and different things like that, you know, a lot of people have dabbled in those things from time to time um, um, and buying futures and Playing on some of those things, but again, it's more appropriate for cropping industries as opposed to to any other. And I think people often don't have a really good understanding of how the tools operate, and um, and then you know come you know feel that they're, they're, they're just better off not going there. So I don't know. What do you think about that?
0: I think it's a combination of all. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think you know uh, definitely even when you look at cropping, you've got mm. wheat. Is the only thing that's really hedged. Barley and, and canola largely left on its own, and any of the other ones, sorghum, it's not really utilised. Uh, cattle used to be used to be able to have uh, cattle futures on the ASX. They yep. were very popular, and then they died a death. Yeah. Uh, so the the only real uh, agricultural hedging products in Australia that really tend to work pretty well is is wheat, yeah, uh, wool and cotton. And, and sugar. Uh, the rest of them either don't have products or don't have products which are, uh, you know, really liquid or have enough participants u- utilizing them, which is a bit of a chicken and egg. If people don't utilize them, the products go away. And I think then yeah. if people, are, you know, have the required knowledge, because it's not it's not something that for the majority of farmers is uh, common commonly utilized so that knowledge uh, escapes them. And, but I think it's, it's, Potentially a sort of, you know, almost a behavioural thing as well, because there has been so many times when farmers have been hit. You know, there is a lot of farmers hit in eighties with uh, uh, Swiss-backed loans on mortgages. Um, yeah. There was uh, some risk products that caused a lot of uh, issues during the two thousand eight period. So those bad stories tend to to permeate and uh, and stay in, in in family farm memories, and so people mm. avoid using them. So I think mm. it's. I think it's an interesting one, and uh, it's it's an area where we've been trying to educate people for a long time on price risk management because we think it's there's probably more percentage you know value to be gained on farm through those type of things than, than than yield gains in a lot of places, but that's mm. that's obviously my bias. Uh, so yeah, well that's that's interesting. So I've got one final question. Mm. Uh, I'll be the school teacher here, and. Uh, you know, we're a couple of years into the plan. Uh, I think the plan came out in, was it 2016 or 2017?
1: Uh, I think, fi- actually, final plan only came out in, yeah, 17, I think it was, yep.
0: Yes, yeah, so you've got a couple of years. Um, hmm.
1: Oh, I did, was it even only last No, I think it was only last year that the final plan came out. Mm. Time gets away, doesn't it?
0: Time, time moves <laughs> quickly. <laughs> so we, we've got, you've got about a, let's call it, uh, 10 and a half years left. Yep. How yep. How are we traveling so far?
1: Well, I think we had always thought, and if you look at the trajectory of where Australian agriculture, you know, goes, we um, were criticised initially for um, being too, you know, too, too, too visionary in some ways, and then others said we weren't visionary enough. And if you just put the line out to sort of where we were travelling, then we sort of got to 80 billion in 2030. And, you know, we we've lifted our sights and said, no, we need disruption. We need to do things differently and we're going to set the target at 100. In that trajectory, it's always acknowledged it goes up and down a little bit. But I think because this is not just always about um, production, this was not about producing more. This was about capturing value on farms. Mm -hmm. And one of the – so even though with the drought, it is knocking some of our figures around a little bit, although the people in the West, of course, are making up for it. Um, it. In actual fact, when you have a look at the growth of horticulture, for example, um, which is uh, you know, really creating a huge amount of extra value at the moment because of its access to export markets, something that it hasn't done very well in the past, um, then in actual fact, you know, we're having our first official check-in in October, but I think that people will be surprised that it's not uh, worse than it is. Uh, We're still traveling okay, it's very early on. Uh, We have a number of different um, opportunities in front of us, a number of different challenges that we need to address. It's gonna take us some time to do all that. We're not expecting that it's going to just, you know, go up in a nice, neat little line. Um, It will be up and down a little bit. And, you know, as as we look at different things and as we look at how we can capture value and as some of the pillars around, you know, whether it's technology, digital capabilities, some of the ways that we think we're going to extract the most value. I mean, digital on its own, the, the Association of RDCs has estimated that they did a, a report called Precision to Decision. And they estimated that unlocking the, um, the true value of digital connectivity to a certain farm would unlock around $25 billion worth of mm. value. Now, that's going to happen irrespective of the drought, but it depends on a whole lot of other factors. So I think, you know, we're travelling okay. We're early on. Uh, we've got our eye on the ball. We're going to check in every year. We're going to check in according to these these, these actual targets and metrics that we set ourselves. And it's a job, you know, as I say, there's some jobs for industry, jobs for government. Everybody's got to get engaged and involved. And if we keep our eye on the ball and we keep uh, everybody focused on the goal, um, and we're really pleased that um, the narrative's taken on as much as it has where we have Decision makers and politicians and everybody now talking about it. Really exciting future for agriculture. Um, then we can get the whole of government behind it, which is what we have to do. We can get the community continuing to support us. We can keep building that trust. We can keep working with our um, amazing people and stakeholders and um, supply chains to really keep, you know, delivering that great food and fibre that we do so well in the industry and capturing value on farm, um, which is where we should be.
0: That's good. I think it's definitely. I guess the 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 old analogy. It's not a it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, and uh, it's good to see that you know a lot of the stakeholders within the industry are all aligning themselves with with the plan and Mm. going in the right direction. So that's pretty good. And I know I actually know one one business which is actually a a large uh, financial company which has actually entered the agricultural market off the back of the hundred billion dollar plan. Right, and they had they had no involvement in agriculture before, and uh, yep, they're now currently uh, invested quite a bit of money on staff and uh, resourcing to to enter the the agricultural space in uh, a financial uh, financial risk for uh, foreign exchange. That's actually Western Union, and uh, yep. and yeah, they've uh, after reading the hundred billion dollar plan, they made a proposal to their bosses to say this is an industry we need to be into we, we can't ignore this industry and yeah so well that's, that's really
1: exciting to hear because i think you know one of the the, the absolute you know basic foundations of a narrative is that australia has always had um, a very very strong uh, viable sustainable agricultural industry we talk about riding on the sheep's back and all those <laughs> sorts of things whereas we say that the Australian agricultural industry has not just been a foundation industry of our past, but it's also a foundation industry of our future. It's something we do incredibly well in Australia. We are innovative. We are adaptive. We're incredibly sustainable. We have to keep changing up the way we do things and disrupting the way we do things. And that's what we do naturally in Australia. And so um, for us, it is about painting a, a really positive yet realistic and believable picture of our industry and having people coming on board supporting it and, and playing their role in making sure we can achieve that.
0: No, it all sounds very good. And, uh, yeah, well, I think that's, that's about it. I'm fully fully appraised of the $100 billion plan now and I'm positive that things are going to be good for the future. And, uh, you know, thanks for, thanks for coming on, Fiona. And I'll just remind you of... Uh, what you said to us, uh, what you said to me a couple of weeks ago in Melbourne, uh, you introduced me to somebody and said, uh, "This is Andrew from Macaro. These are the guys who are making data sexy."
1: <laughs> that's true. Uh, that's uh, absolutely right. I could you. That's absolutely right.
0: And and I think that's uh, we were looking for a tagline for our, our website, and I think we'll have to change it to uh, making data sexy. Uh, so we'll. we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> you can
1: you can pay me after. <laughs> <laughs> no, no,
0: but, but seriously thanks for, thanks for coming along Fiona I think uh, all our listeners will find this very interesting and uh, and yeah we'll uh, look forward to October when the report card comes out yep. and uh, we'll maybe see you at the uh, the gala dinner for the 40 year uh, anniversary of it. NFF
1: looking, looking forward to it thanks so much for having me on it's always great to talk about um, agriculture and our industry and what we're doing because it's a really exciting story to be in
0: well dear listeners, I hope you have learned something today. I hope your knowledge on the 100 billion dollar plan has improved. Uh, it's going to be an interesting 10 years. I think uh, s- you know some of the goals will be relatively easy, some of them will be a bit more of a challenge. Uh, looking at the the pillars to to a- reaching 100 billion, there is uh, you know, they are quite interesting and they do encompass a lot of the industry. So it's, it's interesting to see that it's not just a glossy sort of marketing feel-good document. It is actually, a, I guess, a roadmap to to getting some success across the industry. And uh, and it's a whole of supply chain approach, which is pretty good. Uh, but no, it's, it was very interesting. Uh, if you've got any comments, uh, please let us know. Uh, as is always the case, uh, please leave a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to this uh, podcast. Uh, We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Uh, So yeah, if you do enjoy it, please share it with your friends, uh, family and your colleagues. Cheerio.